we continue on the journey of uh, going through Romans, we're in this fourth chapter. If you're just joining with us this morning, uh, we have studied the first three chapters, four and a half, realizing that it is by faith alone that we are justified before the Lord that comes to us through grace alone, that is strictly by the mercy and the the wonder of God's everlasting and long-lasting love that we are ever hoped to be justified by that faith and that it is all for God's glory alone, that God has done these things not that we might glorify ourselves or point to our own works or even trust in our own works, but that we would look solely upon the throne of God realizing it is because God is love and God is from everlasting to everlasting the bounty of grace for his people that we trust in our Lord and the integrity of who God is. And we talked about that last week when we were looking at this first part of faith, past, present, and future. And we looked at how faith is the presumption upon God's fullness. That we, if I faith, it sounds kind of rude within our, our culture, but it's true that God calls us to presume upon him, to expect his grace towards us. And that faith beckons us to have that expectation that God will be gracious and merciful towards us. And that that very faith is what makes us his people. That it is the genetic structure that makes us the people of God is this one and peculiar faith. And that faith is certainly the freedom from all of our fears. And so Paul points to Abraham and says, look at Abraham and the faith that he had because that faith in our past is the very faith in our present that we are to have so that we might move forward into the future with our faith continually growing in God and how gracious and merciful and good and powerful and wonderful he is. Paul made an incredible statement. You'll remember back in the, the third chapter at the 19th verse, I'm sorry, um, at the 21st verse, he says, But now there is a righteousness that has been manifest apart from the law, that although the law and the prophets witnessed it and bear witness to it, there is a righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's an astonishing statement for Paul to be making to his culture and to his people And if I were to say to you this morning that it's not about how good of a person you are, it's not about your religious activities, it's not about the traditions that you have, it's not about your political party, it's not about the color of your skin, it's not about the amount of money in your bank account, but it's solely upon the mercy and the grace of God and that you would believe that, that you sit here this morning justified before his throne. Some of you would say amen. Some of you would say, can that be true? Some of you might even say, that sounds heretical. But you must understand what Paul is declaring here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for you and I to understand that it is all dependent upon God and not yourselves. Faith is such an essential part of the Christian walk. It is the 
essential part of knowing our justification and our standing before God is secure and can never be moved and it can never be rocked. Faith is the place where we express everything to God about who God is. Faith is the essential factor. It's the Rosetta Stone, so to speak, for the the realization of all God's promises for your life. Without faith, you can't believe in one promise that God might have for you. You can never trust what God has said in the Scriptures without faith. Without faith, it's impossible to obey God. How can you trust a commandment of God and obey it if you have no faith in God's goodness that the commandment will lead you to life? It's impossible to experience intimacy with God. You can't have intimacy with who you don't trust. You can't be close to the one who you do not trust. And it's impossible to know the fullness of the joy that God has created you and I for without faith. We walk around with a suspicious nature that God has something in store for us that's not good. Because in the back of our minds, we know that's what we deserve. We know in our heart of hearts, we really don't deserve goodness from God. And our faith must override that to understand, even in the light of our undeserving of a wonderful and joyous life, by faith, God has provided it for us if we will reach out in faith. You see, faith is so essential to everything in the Christian walk. Faith from the past and in the present and into the future, it is the fullest expression of one's love for God. That's why faith is so important. Because without faith, you and I are unable to express our love for God. It is why God and why He has established a whole system for His people that is based solely upon faith and grace. Because it puts us in the position that we either love Him by expressing faith towards Him and about who He is and about His goodness and about His marvelous nature, or we do not. We remain suspicious of Him. Oh, it's not something we as good Christian folk would ever say out loud. But in the actions of our life, we walk and talk and work and play as though we're hiding from God and the goodness He might do for us if we were to only believe. Part of the challenge that the American church has, maybe part of the challenge this church has, is that we don't really know what it means to have a radical faith. The kind of faith that would look at the promises of God in the Scriptures and really believe in a radical way that God will do what He says He will do. Do you really believe that with this body, with these people on this pew, on these pews, that you can do even greater things than He has done. 
Is your life and your whole walk, your whole discipleship committed to that one promise? That one promise that Jesus said, I will send you the Spirit and you will do even greater things than you have seen me done. Or do we cower behind our walls and we bite and devour one another looking for systems and guards to keep us in the tepid waters we've become so comfortable in treading? We would know that without faith from Hebrews, it's impossible to please God. And I would say to you that the Bible doesn't call us to a tepid faith, but calls us to a hot faith, a red-hot faith, a radical faith that is so different from anything that the natural world has seen or ever believed that it would be evident that God must be at work in His people because look at what they are doing. Look at how they're behaving. Look at how they're trusting. Look at how they worship. Look at how they play. Look at how they love one another. Look at these things and you see a God that these people trust in so much for their livelihoods, for their life, for the condition of their future, that they are so joyous and free from care and worry. Because in that environment is where the world sees a group of people that solely love God more than anything else this world has to offer. And the world sees the testimony that God must be loved. Look at the great things He's doing in those who have faith that He loves them. I want to give you some things out of these scriptures about faith since it's so important to us. We started out this morning in verse 21, I'm sorry, in verse 13. The promise of Abraham to his offspring that he would be the heir to the world would not come through the law, but would come through the righteousness of faith. For it is adherence to the law who are the ones who theirs. Faith is, if they are, then faith is null, and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on the grace of God. That is why it's by faith, because the promise has to rest on the grace of God. Immediately, there's a recoil from some on that that means, oh, you're giving a wink and a nod to sin. What do you do with the law? But as we look at Abraham here, we don't see Abraham disregarding the commandments of God. We actually see Abraham being excited about what God has promised. You see, the fact of the matter is that faith helps us to pursue, I'm sorry, pursue obedience towards what God has promised. It's not that the law has been done away with. It's that the requirement for our justification in the law has been done away with so that by grace it magnifies the law as the nature and the beauty of which God has called us to live by and gives us the strength and the power 
to engage with it and say, yes, God, you are my only God. Yes, God, I have no other gods before you. Yes, God, you are my life. Yes, God, I will love my neighbor as myself. You see, it's that grace that we receive of that burden of it being the requirement that we might be justified that has been taken off of us and placed on Christ that frees us then to embrace that very law and have it magnified in our hearts to say, if this is God, if this is Christ, then make me like Christ. I love Him. It drives me towards obedience. You say, how can that be? How do we know that? Because every believing Christian by faith has been indwelt with the Holy Spirit that will bear the fruit of the Spirit and cause, and cause you and I to love Christ more and more and more and more. And if you don't see that, then you will not see faith. And you will not see saving faith. You will only see a label that someone has chosen to take upon themselves. You won't find lukewarm hearts. You will not find bitter natures. You won't find self-seeking people. You will find a people that have surrendered themselves to the glory of Christ and that glory means more to them than anything else in this universe. And people who are magnified in their own walks of the character and the nature of God and want to reflect that. You see, faith causes us to be obedient. Faith drives us to obedience. It compels us to obedience. It convicts us of every place in our life where we're not obedient and shines a light on it and causes us repentance in our hearts to say, Lord, I've been disobedient here. It's not the way I want to be. It may be the way I went, but God, I don't want to stay in that Help me, God, to repent, to be like you. Lord, I've been unforgiving in my heart. The Holy Spirit has convicted me of that. Lord, make me more forgiving like you. Lord, I've coveted in my heart. I've wanted something that someone else has. Lord, my love for you has been lukewarm. I want it to be red hot. You see, that's the working of the Holy Spirit in the believer's heart that causes conviction, that drives them back to the law, back to obedience, and magnifies it in their heart to glorify God, not because they have to to be saved, but because they are saved, they want to. The whole motivation has been flipped on its head. We don't have no other gods before God because we are afraid that that's the only way we get into heaven it's because we're in heaven it's because we are secure that it gets flipped on his head and we have no other gods because we know the true god that's faith not only does faith pursue obedience towards the promise but by faith we receive the covenant that has been established Covenant is just another word for promise. 
Paul continues on writing. It says, for all of sin and fallen... I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong chapter. Um, that is why it depends on faith in order for us that the promise by grace may be guaranteed to all his offspring. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he has believed. He gives his life, he gives life to the dead and he calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against all hope, speaking of Abraham, that he should become the father of many nations as it has been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he was when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. Or when he considered Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver. What is Paul talking about? Paul's looking back at Genesis chapters 12 and 15 and 17, where God makes his promises to Abraham where this very faith is considered and counted as righteousness for Abraham. You'll remember, though, later in in chapter 15, God promises him that he will be the father of many nations, that all the nations on the earth will be blessed by him. And Abraham complains. And it's what we read as our call to worship this morning. In that complaint, God says, listen, Abe, I want to tell you something. Your servant is not going to be the heir. You will have a son from your own body. I'm promising you that. I'm making a covenant promise with you that this is what's true. And here's how I'll seal it. I'm going to cut these animals in two. And this was normal and natural in that day. A king would make a covenant with another king and they would cut animals and the two kings would walk through those animals saying, let it be like this on us if we don't keep our promise. But something unique happens here. Abraham doesn't walk through the sacrifice with God. God walks through that sacrifice alone. And he makes a promise on his own integrity and his own faith. I'm sorry, his own person. It says, Abraham, have faith in this, that I, I, Yahweh, I, the great I am, will make it happen. And for Abraham, he says, my body's dead. What does he do? He looks at his circumstances. He looks at where he's at in the present. I'm as good as dead. There was no procreation going to come from his body. And he ignores it. His belief that God can bring life out of nothing is stronger than his belief in his own body to bring life from his own body. He looks at his circumstances and he says, God is at work in my circumstances and he's larger than my circumstances. He looks beyond the physical. He says, my wife is barren. My wife is beyond the age where she could bring life into the world. But God, but God, I have faith that you're bigger than my wife's barren womb. I have faith that if you have made this promise, then this promise is true. 
It is by faith that the promises of God are established. It's important to note that in the original, in the Hebrew, when we look back at these, I want you to know this. When God says, behold, I have made you the father of many nations, it's a past tense sentence. It's a sentence that means, Abraham, I'm telling you what I've already done. I have already declared, I have already said this promise is going to happen. It will come true. You can believe it as good as you believe in me. And it is by that faith that we receive the promises of God that are beyond our circumstances, they're beyond our physical limitations. They're beyond what we can imagine. That's why Paul later would say, God will do far beyond and exceed far beyond what you and I have ever considered or imagined. If we will believe. Oh, the trouble with us is not that we believe. The trouble is, is we don't believe enough. The problem isn't that we take little risk. The problem is we don't risk enough. Little faith requires only a little God. This was no little God that came to Abraham and said, every nation will be blessed. You can count on me for it. In your circumstances, in your limitations of what you might imagine, is God bigger? Is your faith in Him larger than what you see? Does His faith go beyond your own wisdom? Could it be that God's doing something much larger than you and I ever expected that He would? Could it be that he wants to show us something more rich than we ever imagined could have happened? I ask it hypothetically, but the reality is it's true. He does want to show us more than we've ever imagined. He does want to do greater things through us and in us. He does want to stretch us beyond what we could imagine or see. He does want you and I to take our focus off circumstances and place them in heaven. To take our focus off of our limitations and place them in His glorious, omnipotent person. Because faith pursues obedience, that obedience drives us to rely upon the promises of God. But faith also, by that same faith, we are also sealed in those promises. Verses 23 and 24. He says that, well, let me start with 20. No unbelief made him waver in his circumstances and the promises of God, but he grew strong in his faith. He gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it is counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. 
It was not counted to Him alone, but for you and me also. It will be counted to us who believe in Him who raised from the dead Jesus Christ our Lord. Who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. You see, in the past, this faith of Abram is what carried him through his present. And as we look in the past to our present, we see it's the same faith that will take us into our future of all of what God has promised for us in Christ Jesus. Certainly without faith, it is impossible to please God. But you and I must understand that faith is the conduit of God's glory. It is the heartbeat of eternal life. And that without faith, there is no heartbeat. Without the belief, the radical belief, that God is who He says that He is, that He will do what He says that He will do, and that His promises are true and good for all of us, we are flatlined. It doesn't mean that sometimes we're not weak in our faith. It doesn't mean that we don't stumble. But what it does mean is that the Holy Spirit in our flatlining, in our stumbling, in our troubles, we cry out like the fellow in the Gospels, Father, I believe, but help my unbelief. It's in that struggle that God comes to us like He came to Abraham. And it's in those falls, those trips, those stumbles that God shows even more who He is so that we might have even more faith in who He is. We come upon a time of year in my family's life where what appeared to be many tragedies happened. It's always in the late summer and the fall. There's a lot of remembrances of of things that have gone by. Certainly, the day that my sister and her husband were killed, and we stood at a double grave with three orphans on the other side of those graves, looking into their faces, and in that moment wondering, God, where are you? There was the passing of my grandmother, right at that same time. There was the almost loss of my wife to Guillain-Barre. There was the first of my kidney transplants. There was the death of my dad at the hands of a mistake in a hospital. All of those things happened in a short period of time. You might think we would run. You might think we would falter. But it is in those moments that God came to us with a deep intimacy and a deep comfort that drove me to give my life fully to His work, to proclaim this faith to you, that it is real and it is true and He is correct and I give you testimony and I witness to how God 
minister to my family through some of the deepest tragedies any family could ever experience. And it drove me and compelled me to seminary to where I would sell my successful business and I would move to Miami with my family. And I would pastor there. And then I would move to Tennessee and I would pastor there. It's the same faith that compelled me to put my name in and say, send me anywhere, God, and send me temporarily. But that's the same faith that God gave you to receive me. You see, we're united by this faith. You all have stories. You all have tragedies. You all have circumstances to point and say, there's where God was bigger than my circumstances. And that's where we look back and we say the faith of our past strengthens us with the faith of the present. So that we move out of the present and express that faith into the future. Because we realize the promise that God made to us in the past to be there was true. The promise that God makes to us in the present, that he's here even now with us in these views, is true. And the promise that he will do great things with us as we believe is true. What must we do to begin to grow in this faith? Well, the first thing is this. You and I... Together as the people of God must begin to pray for a malleable heart. We know in Psalm 95 and in Hebrews 3, you hear the voice of the Lord today, do not harden your heart against Him. You and I must pray, God, soften my heart. Break it if necessary. Rip it in two. Radically, God, change the way I see things so that I might see them as you do. Lord, change the way I see people. Change the way I see my spouse. Change the way I see my circumstances. Change the way I see my limitations. Oh God, give me your heart. That's what the psalmist means. It's what the writer of Hebrew means. Don't harden your heart this morning. Maybe go home today and do something radically different like you've never done. After the queen, lunch there at the queen, or Applebee's, or your house, go somewhere for just 30 seconds alone. Say, God, radically change so that I might have radical faith. And then believe. Second thing is, seek to radicalize your own understanding of faith. You and I must begin to believe and have confidence. God has good. Don't we know that from Romans chapter 8? God's using all things for those who love Him according to His good purpose for them. What you and I see as disaster, God sees as molding. What you and I see as challenges, God sees as shaping. What you and I see as abandonment, God sees as discipline. 
What you and I see as failure, God sees as his success story. God's using all those things, all those weaknesses of ours, all those places where we failed, all those places where we think we've succeeded, to do this, to mold us and shape us that we might receive good from him, so much good that we look like the image bearers of Christ. Radicalize your faith to understand that if God has promised that, then that's the truth. And that's the truth of your life. And then finally this morning, repent from self-centered faith and to Savior-centered faith. We're in a culture and we're in a time where even in our own churches we believe it's up to us to save ourselves. We believe it's dependent upon ourselves to grow in grace. We have such a low level of the omnipotence of God's right hand that we don't think he'll do anything if we don't do it for him. Give you one Old Testament example that we've been on all morning in the life of Abraham. Wasn't long after this 17th or this 15th chapter where God promises to Abraham that he will give him life, that Abraham says, I'm tired of waiting. Let's do it our way. And the world's been in turmoil ever since. God will do what he's promised to do. Here's the interesting part. He will do that whether you and I believe that or not. But we will not experience it. We will not know the joy of it. And we will not know how to obey it and be part of it if we do not have faith. It is that faith that carries us through our difficulties. It is the faith that will take our fears and our shame and our futilities and will finally remove them from us once and for all and throw it into the abyss of nothingness. What the world threw at us would make us want to run. But what the enemy didn't realize it only gave us a stronger faith. Because we found out the promises of God are true by faith alone. Let's pray.